Hi there. Thank you for listening to Spotless, breaking the boundaries of television. The world of TV and advertising is evolving quickly. The largest content creators, distributors, and brands are all vying for new ways to engage the next generation of viewers. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. Consumer behaviors of the next two years will decide the winners and losers of the next two decades. Now here's our host, Michael Shields, GM of Advanced Advertising at Triple Lift. Krishan Bhatia serves as EVP Business Operations and Strategy for NBC Universal's Advertising Sales Division. Reporting to Linda Yaccarino, Chairman, Global Advertising and Partnerships. Batia oversees digital and advanced advertising sales and has overall responsibility for the division's strategy, product, technology, insights and measurement, and operations functions, spanning a portfolio of linear TV, CTV, and digital assets that reaches 230 million U.S. adults every month. Krishan, thank you so much for joining us on the Spotless Podcast. Thanks for having me. Krishan, this podcast is ultimately about the transformation that's occurring in the television industry. And you've really had a front row seat like almost and uh, no one else. So we look forward to talking to you about a lot of that. But uh, for our audience's benefit to get to know you a little bit better, um, I wonder if you might speak a little bit about your background. During your time at Comcast, you've had the opportunity to work across several business units. Um, and truly are an important pillar in the NBC Universal family. So tell us a little bit about your background and your path to your current role. Sure thing, happy to do so. Um, so, you know, to go a little bit back in time, I came to the US for college in 1992 um, and didn't really have my sights set on the media and entertainment business after graduating. Um, and I thought the the next best thing I could do was to get into the management consulting business at the time. And it so happens that the company I was interviewing with, a company named Booz Allen Hamilton, had a focus on hiring into industry practices. And the, the partners I met with were all from the media and entertainment practice. And somehow we hit it off and they ended up offering me a job. And uh, from there ensued nine years of working alongside many of the leading media and technology companies, including actually NBC and Universal as they were still separate companies at the time. So I spent nine years kind of getting trained and, and, and learning the ropes of the media business in a very exciting time. This was mid-90s, you know, going into the early 2000s. And then one day I got a, a call from a headhunter um, for a job at, at Comcast. And they said, uh, have you ever heard of this company? And I said, of course, it's a cable company in Philadelphia. And they said, well, that's true, but they also have ambitions to become a leading media company. And they're looking for people who can help them on that journey. So... That was kind of the opening. I, I went down from New York to Philadelphia um, a few times to, to meet with the team there. And, and it was just very clear sort of how ambitious uh, the company was, um, how it measured its impact over the long term and, and how it would invest meaningfully. Um, and it ended up being a really easy decision for me to leave almost a decade of you know, a career behind in, in consulting and, and join Comcast uh, at that time. This was 2005. Um, and I've been there since. So that's been 15 years, my, my second company that I've worked for. 
Um, but I've been through many chapters, as you as you just mentioned, uh, you know, along along that way. When I joined, as I mentioned, the company, you know, was really a cable company. Broadband was kind of in its infancy. Um, I went back and 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 uh, and looked up uh, its broadband presence at the time. They had seven million subscribers when I interviewed with the company, and I think we just closed the last quarter with thirty million broadband subscribers and the biggest ever quarterly net gain in in, in broadband uh, subs in the history of the company. So, you know, that's that's what a four x in 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 scale over that that fifteen year period. <clears throat> The company had also kind of flirted with um, the idea of uh, buying large cap media. They, they uh, attempted to buy the Walt Disney Company, if you remember uh, uh, back then, and, and that attempt didn't, didn't work out, but they had their sights set on uh, you know, entering the media business in earnest. In the meantime, what we actually did is we created a, a digital media business unit of sorts. We called it Comcast Interactive Media, started to build out sort of advertising supported consumer businesses and, and uh, we got into digital advertising at the time, and um, the precursor of my role today really was 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 created back then, uh, managing a, a smaller portfolio of, of digital assets, including Fandango, which was one of our early uh, acquisitions and continues to be a thriving part of the NBC Universal portfolio now. So we built out, you know, both a television and a digital media portfolio, and then all of that culminated in 2009 with the announcement of the NBC Universal acquisition that um, uh, closed uh, at the beginning of 2011. And those media businesses that Comcast had built, as well as uh, the people attached to them, became part of the NBC Universal division, uh, which now is the, is the media division within, within, within the company. And so um, my first couple of years was really focused on integration of Comcast's media assets and the NBC Universal media assets, particularly with a lens on digital. We had these two kind of incredible portfolios that, that both companies had assembled and, and, and we wanted to bring them together for the purposes of scale for consumers and, and, and for marketers alike. So um, lots of familiar threads uh, within that that we're continuing to scale uh, now as well, which we'll talk about in a second. So first couple of years, you know, integration of those assets, um, both on the digital side, then on the television side. And then the last few years have really been focused on you know, this, this broad trend of convergence, uh, which we'll talk about more, uh, really integrating both our uh, linear presence and our digital presence into a holistic offering for consumers and marketers. So it's been, you know, it's been an exciting time, but at least three or four massive chapters of transformation for the company. And I've been honored and, uh, and humbled to be alongside that. As you take us through that journey, I can't help but recognize that so many of the services you talk about across the broader Comcast NBCU footprint, even historically, are ad-supported services um, with so many major competitors launching services that are in the SVOD space that might evolve to be in the AVOD space. I'm wondering, can you give us that perspective within the broader Comcast, but certainly NBCU, about the importance of advertising in the future kind of streaming landscape? Well, um, I'll take you back to my consulting days where, you know, one of the first things we talked to media clients about was um, a couple of things. Every time a new platform uh, in terms of sort of media consumption uh, emerged, uh, people first worry about the cannibalization with the existing business, the legacy business, uh, and, and, and time 
you know, has sort of proven uh, that wrong, that usually when new platforms roll out, yes, there might be sort of substitution um, at the edge, but in, in general, it actually creates more opportunity for consumers to engage with content and then for, you know, fi uh, economic upside to, to ensue. The, the players might change. And the second sort of truism was that <clears throat> over time, most media businesses reach an equilibrium between consumer support uh, where I'm either paying for a subscription service or, or I'm, I'm buying, you know, uh, individual uh, uh, products or, or, or content and, and advertising supported. And, and that's been true for television historically, obviously, uh, whether you're subscribing uh, to a cable package or a satellite package and, and that being supported through advertising. Uh, it's been true for print. Um, it's been true for uh, music. And, and basically it's been true for almost every media service. So while the pendulum, I think, in television over the last 10 years uh, swung uh, towards uh, ad-free SVOD services, you know, we as a company recognized from that experience in our existing portfolio that it, was, it, it would likely get back to this equilibrium state, and we had a real opportunity to continue to invest in ad-supported, uh, in our case, uh, uh, video businesses. Uh, which we're doing with uh, with with Peacock now, you know, most 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 importantly, but it's an incredible incredibly important part of the company's future strategy, and our and our goal is to build an advertising platform that can help us grow globally. Quite frankly, uh, to continue to invest in, create, and distribute content, we believe that there will always be a dual revenue stream required, and I happen to sit on on, on one side of the equation in uh, continuing to fuel the, the, the ad supported nature of that. But, but from, from that sense, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the, uh, you know, primary legs of the stool for the company. Part of that discussion includes a discussion around wallet, right. And how much consumers are willing to spend across different services. And then part of it is around attention, right. And how much time they have to devote to different services, even within the NBCU umbrella, there are now several different streaming services that have been developed organically or through acquisition, right. Could you give us your view, Krishan, of this evolving landscape, right? Like essentially what is your view of the streaming wars and how it's going to unfold in the next few years? Well, I think we start from, a lens of customer centricity, and and for us that you know starts with the consumer, obviously, um, and for advertising it, it starts with marketers. So those are our two major constituents. If we can delight consumers and reach them at scale with great content, um, and then we can create opportunities for marketers to um, advertise their their offerings and services uh, along that. Um, for the biggest possible impact, which we continue to believe is through the medium of television or, or, or video in general, then we're in a then we're in a good spot. And you're right, we have a portfolio both of television and linear assets, <clears throat> but as a company, have invested heavily for years, um, only now culminating, I think, in, in, in Peacock, in making content available. Quite frankly, on on, on any platform where we believe there is um, consumer relevance. Uh, as well as an opportunity for the business model to, to, to work. Um, and that includes owned and operated assets like our networks uh, and some of our digital uh, apps and OTT apps. Uh, but it also includes partnerships um, with big digital media companies and OTT platforms on which we distribute content 
uh, ranging from YouTube to Apple to Twitter to Snapchat to, to, to many, many more, where we found use cases that are complementary and, and, um, and, and net positive for the consumer uh, to engage with our franchises. And, and, and the same goes for, for marketers. So that portfolio lens on starting with the consumer and making content available um, in whatever platform we believe ultimately has relevance and engagement with the consumers has been uh, kind of the underpinning of it. And then we'll talk about it in a second, our one platform approach to then consolidating and aggregating that for marketers to be able to take out the fragmentation and the complexity of, of, of what ensues and make that really simple to act on as a, as a marketer is kind of the corollary of that. I would love to dig in a little bit more since you mentioned the, the one platform offering, all audiences, all screens, all solutions. Um, when I think about your thoughts of being customer-centric, but then meeting the needs of marketers, I think implicitly about data, right? The kinds of data that you can gather around where consumers are and how they're consuming your content on different platforms, and then how you can match that to, to the marketers need to reach those specific consumers. Can you take us back a little bit, maybe on the evolution of one platform? Like what were some of the initial challenges when you put together that offering and then maybe how it evolved and how it's being perceived now by marketers? Sure. Um, I'll start with the, the, the objective, um, which keys off of, uh, you know, our, our, our prior uh, question. Um, as you make content available in all of these new forms of distribution and on new platforms, um, you're inherently fragmenting the nature of distribution. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means it's a more complex thing. We have across all of our brands and shows uh, and networks, and then all of the platforms and devices that those um, are distributed on, we have over a thousand different integration endpoints, basically. So part of my team is responsible for, in essence, ensuring that every piece of video content from uh, the broadcast network to uh, a YouTube channel to a Snapchat show is enabled um, for marketers uh, with whatever the commercial uh, opportunity is in, in, in those shows. And, and that's a, a thousand different integration points. So no one's able to operate a business, you know, by planning and buying and transacting and measuring media in that many different endpoints. So one platform really arose from the recognition that we want to be on all of those platforms. And at the same time, the way that consumers and marketers are looking at it are, is, 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 uh, or should be abstracted from that. And they should be able to take advantage of the, the full opportunity. As a consumer, you should be able to you know, engage with our content wherever. And as a marketer, you should be able to reach those consumers wherever. And so the value proposition really to a marketer is um, let us tell you where the puck is going in terms of where consumers are consuming what content and in what context. Um, let us then invest in technology and capabilities and to your point, data as well, that allows you to take full advantage of the planning, buying, delivering, and, and, and measure, measurement process that, that ensues. Um, and as a marketer, you get the benefit, therefore, of always surfing on the edge of consumption versus uh, being outdated in your planning metrics. As you know, we conduct uh, the vast majority of our business during the upfront period 
Uh, still more than half of our total business with agencies and marketers conducted throughout the upfront. And yet in the upfront, you're planning ahead by almost 18 months in some cases. And no one has a perfect lens on exactly what the landscape's going to look like in 18, 18 months. Uh, we've tended to under predict, quite frankly, the growth in, in, in new platforms, particularly driven by streaming and OTT now. So one platform is meant to say <clears throat> over the next 12 to 24 months, if you engage with us in a one platform manner, you're going to be assured of reaching consumers no matter where they're consuming the content, as long as they're the right consumers, which we can ensure through data and targeting and optimization. And as long as it's the right content in terms of the fit and, and sort of brand appropriateness with, with, with you as a brand. I want to seize on the, the mention of the upfront. Obviously, 2020 was a crazy year, right? And um, I don't want to necessarily look back on this last year's upfront, but everyone talks about how a lot of you know trends that were kind of occurring over a period of, let's say, a decade or so have been accelerated by uh, what's happened in 2020. Um, um, looking forward to next year's upfront, are you starting to see certain things evolve, right? That might take hold in terms of like how the upfront changes, uh, uh, next year and beyond. Well, I'll start with, um, I think the fact that there were lots of, um, predictions this year about the upfront either not taking place or taking place in a significantly altered fashion. And, you know, while every business uh, and industry has undergone uh, changes and sort of rapid adaptation this year, given the circumstances, um, the upfront process ended up being longer, but it ended up taking place in a, in a similar fashion to how it has in the past with, with, in our case, one major exception, uh, which is this adoption of a one platform mentality. Um, I think the timing of, and in retrospect, foresight, I guess, of us availing our offering in a one platform manner, uh, to your point, was accelerated you know, by the pandemic and the need to adjust to adjusting consumer trends, as well as needs for efficiency and increased flexibility, all of which you sort of are implicit in, in our one platform approach. So we really drove actually deeper partnerships as a result of uh, a one platform approach in this year's upfront. And to, your, to answer your question more um, specifically, as we head into next year, we're going to continue to double down on that on that approach because the feedback from the marketplace advertisers and agencies alike, you know, has been nothing but positive. The, there are still challenges that remain to overcome mostly legacy processes and complexities that ensue from that between buy side and sell side, but we're investing in that and we're partnering with, with the buy side, quite frankly, on what I would generally phrase as interoperability, like making our one platform approach more interoperable with how the buy side is planning, buying and, 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 and measuring. I think that's a big, that's a big trend um, and is enabled, quite frankly, by technology investment on both sides and a recognition that those have to connect uh, to ensure that, 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 that business flows uh, more effectively. So as we look at next year, there will be another upfront is my prediction. Um, it, it, it will, but it will focus, I think, on a, on a 
on a broader approach, which in our case is one platform. And I think you can see many other media companies quickly adopting very similar approaches. I want to talk a little bit more about doing business during the pandemic. So ultimately, several streaming services launched <laughs> during the pandemic, including Peacock. Could you tell us a little bit about you know, what some of the internal dialogue was there? Was there any shift in strategy? Did, was there a kind of doubling down on some of the investments that you made leading into Peacock? Obviously, 22 million signups. You have to be very excited about the progress of the service to date. But I wonder if you might take us back to the summer and, and tell us a little bit about the launch. Well, I'll take you back a little further because in our case, we had this two-pronged launch approach where we were launching within the Comcast footprint back in April. Right. Uh, and then we launched uh, uh, on a national basis in July. And so you can imagine that, you know, with the shutdowns starting to occur mid-March, end of March, and an impending launch, uh, which was a, a full launch, it was just to the Comcast footprint um, in April, I, I think there were lots of worries about how are we going to pull this off with everyone working remotely? And, and uh, you know, the product and engineering teams that were actually delivering the service deserve a huge amount of credit for uh, pulling that off. And then our teams on the advertising side, um, which, as I mentioned at the outset, are the ones that are in that the marketer rides alongside the consumer experience. So, uh, you know, basically uh, wiring it up with our ad server, with all of our measurement services, everything that, you know, you, you've come to um, in, in enjoy as part of a, a leading AVOD service, we, we did all of that. And it launched on time uh, within, within Comcast uh, in mid-April. Um, and scaled, you know, through the July period. And then we continued to all work from home as we continue to do now. And we pulled off a, a national launch in, in July. So I think there's, you know, a, a number of learnings and silver linings in how companies have em embraced new ways of, of working um, uh, together to uh, not only conduct business as usual, but actually, I would say, conduct business in, the, in a more effective way. Uh, in a more effective manner. And then we had the tailwind of the fact that people were at home and were looking for free uh, alternatives to engage with content. And so we couldn't have launched into a more timely period from a consumption um, and sort of overall economic state perspective, right? We gave everyone a premium free service um, uh, with a phenomenal ad experience that, we, that we're continuing to in, in invest in. And so, as you said, it's, it's beaten all of our expectations, uh, both on the subscriber uh, front, as well as on the engagement front. And I would say, as importantly for us, on the marketer front, we engage with our partners. We have 10 launch partners uh, at the outset that continue to partner with us uh, throughout this initial period. Um, we've created what we're calling a streaming council uh, once a quarter, where we invite the leaders of those brands and their agencies um, to talk about progress and um, talk about the insights and talk about the underlying consumer trends and, and then evolve the offering together in terms of ad product development, in terms of measurement capabilities, in terms of data, uh, and, and in, in terms of content strategies. So it's been, it's been an incredible um, journey, not only in launching a new consumer product, but actually partnering with um, marketers in, in a very unique way that, that we would have not been able to do 
you know, in the more traditional parts of our business. You've had this unique positioning uh, uh, versus some of the other streaming services from the get-go in that you launched with a very clear program for advertisers around ad innovation. Could you tell us some of the things that in perhaps in those councils that, that you've put together that marketers are asking for, whether it be new ad products, new kind of data offerings, what are some of the things they're asking for? So it's interesting. Um, I think on the one hand, there's sort of this assumption that there's a table stakes, you know, for anything that is digitally delivered, uh, which in, in, in streaming obviously is the case. And that means you can real time measure it, measure attribution, uh, uh, employ targeting, optimize your campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think those are all sort of table stakes assumptions and we have invested in all of those capabilities, you know, even prior to Peacock and they now are obviously applied to and, and are supercharged with Peacock. I think the other thing though, that's interesting is we launched with this sort of share of voice approach uh, to begin with, with 10 launch sponsors. And there's lots of resonance, I think, by marketers that, that I've picked up on on having ownership over a certain part of a product like Peacock and engaging with consumers in a way that is deeper than certainly than running amongst many 15 second and 30 second commercials on linear television. So we really took this to heart to redefine the future of television with Peacock. And yes, we have a lower ad load than you know anywhere else, uh, no more than five minutes and no more than 10 elements. Um, and we have lots of bells and whistles that are attached to that in terms of ad product innovation, kind of taking a portfolio approach of not all of these will work, but we want to launch um, almost on a quarterly basis, new products that we're testing with, with, with clients. We have a voice activated um, uh, ad creative that we're running within the Comcast footprint right now uh, that ties into the Xfinity uh, remote. Um, we're, we, we're running uh, what we call solo ads and binge ads, which again, give, give uh, marketers the opportunity to own uh, you know, certain parts of a show or certain parts of a viewership session. And they're really leaning into the parts where they have kind of ownership, because I think intuitively it makes sense. That's where they they can make the, have the biggest impact on a consumer impression. Um, so I think you'll see us continuing to invest in areas of the experience and the products that allow um, a larger set of marketers over time to still have impact and not get drowned out you know, in, in the, in the more, in the more typical sense. And that's a very fine balance between business objectives and consumer and marketer objectives that we'll continue to, to calibrate carefully. Um, but that's, that's what we're hearing sort of most resonance with. I want to shift gears a little bit. You mentioned before the importance of Comcast NBCU's evolving strategy on a global basis. And it's a really interesting aspect of Comcast's advertising sales portfolio as a whole that it has very, very local offerings, right? Uh, through the traditional kind of Comcast ad sales offering all the way up through NBCU and Sky Broadcasting. How are you talking to marketers now with this like mix of assets, local to global? It's, I mean, it's super exciting and, and it's sort of unprecedented to um, have a platform that at the core is focused on premium video uh, and at the same time is accessible 
to a range of marketing use cases that span global partnership constructs around live events and sports, all the way down to highly locally targeted products uh, that we're now integrating um, you know, through the, the local ad sales business on the NBC Universal side. And I, I've had the privilege of um, partnering with both sides of that spectrum. Um, a couple of years ago, we went out to first meet with our partners at, at Sky Media in Europe um, who operate uh, you know, television and advertising businesses in the UK and Germany and in Italy and, and in other markets as well. And um, we, we found immediate alignment in terms of the opportunities as well as the challenges that we were looking to overcome and, and kind of locked arms from the, from the get-go. And some of the early manifestations were we'd made a lot of progress on the cross-platform measurement front um, through a concept we, we, we call C-Flight, which is basically a way to aggregate impressions across all the platforms and, and, um, and, and pay off a, a one platform kind of value proposition to a marketer by measuring it and, and, and accounting for it in that manner. Um, Sky faced a similar challenge in, in their markets and they very quickly embraced the C-Flight approach and are actually now working on implementing it in the UK and in Germany um, alongside other industry participants, uh, both measurement companies and other media companies. And then conversely, we, um, we learned a ton from Sky on the advanced advertising front. They've been investing in a product they called AdSmart for many, many years. Uh, at the intersection, sort of of the of the sky set up box, uh, you know, and their and their media networks, and so um, we have you know stolen a, a couple of pages out of their book and actually also embraced their brand in the marketplace to align from a global perspective. So all of our advanced advertising efforts in the U.S. marketplace now um, go under the moniker of of AdSmart. Um, and and while that's a branding exercise, it's really meant to foreshadow the fact that we're going to create a global advertising platform with a fully aligned roadmap that uh, for all intents and purposes accomplishes the exact same thing for a marketer in the UK, in Germany, or in the US marketplace. And now with the latest chapter, as you referred to, we're integrating the NBC Universal local stations ad sales uh, uh, group. And similarly there, we just see huge opportunity being able to unlock the value of our consumer products and services to a local sales organization that you know serves in upwards of thirty uh, DMAs in the in, in the U.S. marketplace, local and regional uh, advertisers. So, spanning the gamut, uh, to your point, and by continuing to invest in the technology platform that underpins all of this, it really is the 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 best one-stop shop for all your you know, premium uh, video needs from, from local to global. A few months back, Linda wrote a call to action called Transformation is a Shared Responsibility. She asked the industry to open up the marketplace and share resources in order to drive demand, but also build the future of work and more broadly, even stimulate the economy. How has the response been from industry partners so far? Uh, I think it's been exceptionally uh positive and, and lean in because I think our whole conversation today, there's a recognition, I think, in the industry that individual companies can certainly take leadership positions and, and, and accomplish, you know, a, a fair amount by themselves. But this sort of 
ecosystem ultimately needs to come together in order to drive transformation at an even more rapid pace. We can do all the innovation we want, you know, on the sell side, let's say, but if we don't bring the buy side along, then uh, progress will be stymied and conversely. And so partnerships have sort of been the underpinning of a, a lot of what we've done in the past, partnerships with our marketers and agencies, as I said at the outset, partnerships with um, distributors of our content from the traditional MVPD ecosystem to the OTT platforms to social media platforms. Increasingly, I would say partnerships with other media companies as well. We've basically taken many of our innovations and availed them to the rest of the industry through organizations that we formed. We participate in OpenAP, for example. We participate in Project Or, which are two advanced advertising forums where media companies and distributors are trying to standardize the way that advanced advertising uh, takes shape so that it makes everything simpler and we don't all reinvent the wheel many times over. So I think a recognition that the ecosystem in general and the economy will benefit by closer and deeper partnerships between the various constituents is, is foundational, but it's all about how you then actually make that happen. And I happen to be personally involved, uh, as is Linda, as you mentioned, as well as a big part of our team in, in really leaning into this. But it, it takes time, it takes investment, it takes extra resources, but we believe that the, you know, that the payoff for the business at large is, is, is huge. Part of what that letter called upon and is extremely relevant given the events of this summer is the importance of another aspect of evolution in the industry. And that is to move towards an increasingly aware point of view on diversity, equity, and inclusion. From your perspective and from the perspective of that necessary transformation that the industry has to go through, how could we do better on that front? Well, we have a huge opportunity, I think, there um, as an industry and as a society, obviously, and at the same time, a huge challenge. And so I think it takes leadership um, from individuals, it takes leadership from companies, and it takes leadership you know, from industries, quite frankly, to ensure that. And, and one of the things that, that re really resonated with me was just widening the aperture on talent, diversity in general, particularly in the media industry, I feel like we've had a relatively narrow aperture in terms of where we look for talent. We generally look for talent from within a relatively small universe. And then we're surprised by the fact that we're not increasing sort of the diversity of thought and, and the diversity of race. And that to me is a fundamental starting point. So as we continue to invest in our team, and actually we're a net uh, we're in a, in a position to actually hire people at this point because we're investing in all the things that we talked about today. We're encouraging and challenging our teams to look beyond the usual as a starting point. You know, if we, if we all hire from each other, you know, we're fishing in a small pond. And I've always found that if you start with the diversity of thought, then you're kind of on your way on many other diversity metrics. And, and that's what we need as an industry as well to transform. So they go hand in hand. You know, on the one hand, I think we need to shine a spotlight on it, set goals and measure ourselves. On the other hand, I think the benefit of, of that is, is so overwhelming that it should be the starting point, but it just hasn't been. Um, you know, I happen to personally have grown up in a, in a very internationally uh, oriented and diverse 
setting. My father's Indian, my mother's German. I was born in the Netherlands and we basically packed our bags up every um, couple of years and, and moved from place to place. So the, the exposure to different people, different cultures, different ways of thinking, um, you know, is, is, is somewhat ingrained to me. And at the same time, I, you sometimes run the risk of then assuming, you know, that, that, that that's how the world works and, and it clearly doesn't. So I think we all, as I said, we all have individual responsibility. We as a group within ad sales under Linda's leadership is, is really taking this to heart. And then the company overall, I mean, Brian Roberts and, and team announced both the investment as well as the resources that we're putting to bear to this cause. And it takes time. It won't all turn on a, on a dime. But I think we're, we're driving recognition for it as both an opportunity as a challenge. We're investing in it and we're prioritizing it as a, as a company. So to me, that's a pretty good start with, with a lot of work to, to be done. That's well said, Krishan, and, and thank you for that. Um, I'm gonna leave it at that. So thank you so much for being here. Krishan Bhatia, truly an agent of transformation in our industry. We're honored to have you on Spotless. It's been my pleasure, thank you. Thank you for listening to Spotless. Be sure to subscribe and come back soon for another conversation about the future of television. For more information, you can connect with us anytime at spotless at triplelift.com. Spotless.